Welcome back to Skylines. I'm your host, Sky Hume, and this week's episode is a special one. The Old 97s are an alternative country band from Texas. They've been playing together with the same lineup since the 90s and released their 12th album last year. 21 years ago, my parents met online through an Old 97s fan group. Their first date was a 97s concert, and they brought me to my first concert before I was old enough to sing along. Since then, I've attended more 97s shows than I can count. For this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Murray Hammond, the bassist for the Old 97s. I actually did this interview on my parents' 21st wedding anniversary, which felt pretty fitting. Happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. Love you guys. Murray is a brilliant musician and songwriter, and especially knowledgeable train buff, and one of the kindest and most down-to-earth people I've ever met. I've learned so much from him, both from this interview and throughout my life in general, and I hope you do too. Obligatory first question. What's your song of the day? Okay, song of the day for me right now. Uh, there's a song by Billy Childish, a British artist, artist and uh, musician. Uh, uh, he's from the, uh, the Medway area of England, and uh, he's done a million bands. If, if you don't know the work of Billy Childish, do a deep dive on it. It's, it's, it's definitely in the realm of garage rock. And, uh, and he did a couple of records under, uh, uh, one of his projects was called the Buff Medways. He's from the Medway area of England. And the Buff Medways did the song called I'm Hurtin'. And, uh, and it's great. It's about, um, you know, alcoholism, but also the injury that you carry into your adulthood. And it's one of the most astounding songs I've ever heard. Um, and, yeah, and it's really kind of hitting the spot right now. Like I'm, I'm hurting by uh, the Buff Medways, M-E-D-W-A-Y-S, and uh, written by Billy Childish, the the singer of that band. And uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm hurting because um, I'm still a little kid. That's that's a thing that gets me in that song, and it goes on and on like that. So yeah, Buff Buff Medways, I'm hurting. Awesome. Well, you heard him. Check out Buff Midway's I'm Hurtin'. Alright, Murray, you are the bassist for the Old 97s, yeah? Yes, yes. Bassist Old 97s. I actually named the band back in 1992. Um, you named uh, them after a song, right? Well, that's right. Uh, so there was an old folk song from the 1920s called Wreck of the Old 97. It was the, uh, the B-side. Um, of the first million selling what they called hillbilly hillbilly records um, so before they had the term country music and all that um, and it's by a guy named Vernon Dalhart that wasn't his real name he, he named himself his name was like Leonard Sly or uh, oh, I, I can't remember I have to look that up but uh, yeah so he named himself after Vernon Texas and Dalhart Texas two towns and he had this really massive selling record called The Prisoner's Song and on the flip side everybody heard this um, it was a 78 RPM record everybody heard this song called Wreck of the Old 97 and uh, yeah and I and I heard it on a Johnny Cash record and uh, so when it came time for Rhett and um, Ken and I we were playing together but we didn't quite have a name yet um, 
I thought it might be cool to call ourselves just the old 97s. Um, Joe Strummer, uh, prior to The Clash, uh, he had a band, um, what they, they called a, a pub rock band, um, called the 101ers. And uh, I thought, you know, number number names are kind of cool. I like I like number names, and uh, so I wrote, wrote all this out on a napkin, and went to work and left the napkin for Rhett. And I said, I said, here's our name. What do you think about this? You know, uh, old 97s. Here's the reasons. Number names are cool. Think Joe Strummer 101ers, and uh, it's named after a train wreck. We're kind of a train wreck. Um, and yeah, I just I just like the whole the whole vibe of it. So yeah, that's how we that's how we got our name. And uh, and I remember holding the damn napkin when I got home. I thought, I wonder if I should save this. I thought, ah, I'll just toss it. I wish really wish I had had it. That'd be great to have. Yeah. I remember one time when I went to see an old ninety seven show in Boulder, Colorado, with my parents. We had dinner yeah. beforehand. I remember. I asked you for your autograph and you signed a napkin and I think you wrote, Dear Napkin, Keep Absorbing. <laughs> really? <laughs> and I, I still have that napkin. It's in, I've got a little box that I put like all my ticket stubs in, like all my plane tickets just from everything I've been to and I got that napkin in there. Oh, cool. I don't remember signing that, but I like the John Lennon humor about that. <laughs> Hello, Dear Napkin. Well, how... How did you and Rhett and Ken meet each other way back in the uh, Well, so so Rhett and I, okay, so um, Rhett was 16 years old when I met him. I was 22. This is October of 1986. I actually think I remember the date, October 3rd, 1986. I had just started dating a girl named Jennifer, and she said, my friend Jennifer uh, is in a folk trio with uh, these two other guys, and one of them, his name is Rhett, and uh, would you like to go over and watch them rehearse and watch them practice? And uh, I said, yeah, that sounds great, you know? And uh, so I went over there, and they were very much like a, a Kingston trio. Uh, kind of band. They're like Peter, Paul, and Mary, Kingston Trio. Uh, but, you know, just, just real serious, though. Um, and but I was immediately struck by, by the songs. I thought the songs were very good, and I thought they were really, definitely belied his young year. I mean, he was 16, you know. And, um, and I liked sort of how he was writing. You know, the rest of the world was writing very grand songs, you know. Th this was the era of In Excess and The Alarm and U2 and, and that sort of thing. And, and the songs, you know, the songs were all four minutes, five minutes long, and, and uh, but he was writing these tight, efficient little folk songs and, uh, and full of earworms, and the lyrics were great. I could tell he was definitely a reader and probably a writer and uh yeah i, I was struck immediately it's like no i, I said you're great you know um, i was um i had a band at that time and it was called peyote cowboys peyote being the hallucin hallucinogenic cactus and um and we were just a nutty butthole surfer style band that would 
you know, kind of delve into the Paisley underground and, you know, and, uh, but we, we, you know, we did gigs, uh, our, I think we had opened up, we're about to open up for Red Cross from LA. Um, and, uh, and I asked, I asked Rhett, um, you want to, I, I think you're ready to have you gigged. He said, no, you want to come open for my band? He said, no, it's too soon. I said, well, I'm playing in two weeks. You're ready. Be, you're, you're on the bill. You're on the bill. And uh, so we did, we did our, we did his first two shows together. And, uh, and then he went off by himself. Um, the trio imploded almost right away. And, uh, and then Rhett was uh, a solo person for quite a while. So, and uh, yeah, and that's how I met him. And, uh, and just about two years later, he asked me to produce uh, a record for him. So the, the one and only time I've ever produced anything was his first um, record, his first solo album. It was an album called Mythology. And, you know, we, we, we became we became friends, you know. And later on, we would be roommates in, like, five different apartments and houses. Time Bomb is the first track on Too Far to Care, the 97's third studio album. Let's take a listen. ever been to a 97 show knows that you always close every show with time bomb it has this unspeakable yeah. guitar riff that comes in every single time yeah um, i remember hearing on a facebook live show in 2020 that time bomb has a really interesting history on the writing uh, you know Rhett and i have for years kind of written in a very similar way I, uh, when he and i write something together it's usually me coming up with a tune that I have tried my hardest to finish or like or like to flesh out with with the right lyrics and everything and and I'll just give up on them like I, I don't know what this song is doing I don't know what it's I, I kind of know what it's about I'm throwing up my hands hoisting the white flag and then I'll bring it to Rhett and then he'll write great words to it in about you know seven minutes 
and uh, and then we'll have a song. And 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 a lot of our songs uh, that we've had over years were like that. The, you know, the ones I can think of off the top of my head are like old familiar Sting, New Kid. Uh, I don't know. There there's some true co-writes out there. Uh, old familiar Sting is a true co-write. Uh, Crash on the Barrelhead is a true co-write. Um, but yeah, but we'll we'll kind of do do it that way, and he'll tend to sing them. So yeah, and that's how Time Bomb was. I, I had this song that I had lyrics for, but they weren't any good. <laughs> they were they weren't terrible, but they were not good and not not good for old ninety sevens, you know. So yeah, so I I I said here's a tune. Here is the words I have. Um, I think it might be a lot better if it was fast you know we have a lot of that you know train beat stuff and uh and that was my only suggestions and in three three days we had a practice that we were uh uh doing that we're really starting to work up songs that would become too far to care um he uh he had finished the song and uh and yeah it, it was great it was great. It was so much better than what I had. I still, I still have the lyrics. I have, I have old, uh, you know, practice tapes where I was like, just slamming into it, playing it over and over, and just not, and just kind of coming up with these words, and eh, it, it wasn't any good. But uh, yeah, it, it'd be. Uh, I think I've got maybe two or three just scratchy old tapes that have a kind of complete run of what Time Bomb used to be. But yeah, but it wasn't Time Bomb. It was called uh, Outside of Woodstock was the name of it. Outside of Woodstock, I was on the road. I was actually staying in a tent outside of Woodstock. And, uh, and, uh, and I'd started this idea called Summer of 91. And then it became outside of Woodstock, and I was had broken up with a girl. It's my first big bad breakup, like where you're just destroyed, you know. And uh, and uh, yeah, and so I I kind of wrote this, but and I was on my way to D.C. to record like a little cassette, and I, I wanted to get that song on that little cassette, uh, but I wasn't ever able to just because I never really could finish it to my set. Satisfaction. So, uh, yeah, but Rhett turned it into Time Bomb, and uh, and now we finish our sets every night with it. So, I don't know how we totally got in that habit of where we always do it. At some point, we're doing it anyway because it was the most end of set thing to do. But then it became like this just funny thing. Eh, let's just do it every night because it's it's kind of funny. It could be like our shtick, you know. And then we kind of got stuck with the shtick. <laughs> but it's also a signal like, okay, everybody, maybe gather up your stuff. Everybody's about to go home. <laughs> you know, it's, it's our Elvis has left the building. Um, I know yeah. there are actually there are a couple songs on each 97's album that you, you actually sing on. Yeah. Instead of yeah. Rhett. Do you have a favorite song that you've written of those or a favorite one to perform? You know, when it's really cooking, I, I really love doing color of a lonely heart is blue when it's really psychedelic and kind of firing like ken ken gets some great psychedelic sounds out of his guitar and the thing is like the song itself is like patsy klein singing for oasis 
you know and so and so when it's really hitting that kind of oasis beetly oasis thing yeah it's it's really satisfying to do that live because it's you know it's sonically very very lush and all that yeah it's it's fun for me yeah and i'm proud of the song too it's it's uh, i'm proud of the words on it and it just you know it, it's an emotional song and uh yeah so yeah i would say collar so when i when playing concerts they're like the songs that you guys as a band love to play right and then they're the songs that tend to be the crowd favorites do, do those tend to overlap a lot <laughs> do we actually like to play songs that the crowd wants to hear <laughs> you know we've done something i'm very proud of um and not every band can do this and it, and it frustrates a lot of band and it, but we've never had that frustration and that is the songs our oldest songs, the very first songs we've ever done, they actually can sit right alongside the, the most recent songs we've done. And the ones we did in the middle, they, they're all really good neighbors to each other. And, and a lot of bands, they, you know, they're, they're, they're done with their old songs. Or they're, they're just, or they evolve very quickly and, and very far away from where they came from. So it's harder f for the songs to, to live next to each other. But We've never had that problem, along with, you know, definitely innovating and definitely clearly innovating. In my my mind, you know, we 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 sound like our first record, but we don't, you know, um, or we can. Yeah, you know, we can sound like our first record, but we we can also do a lot of things that were just not available to us on those those first albums. But yeah, so we we love every bit of our catalog. We. Flat out, we never flinch when we look, consider any song that we've ever had. And we're in the upper, I, I don't know what, how many songs we have right now. I think we might have like 160 maybe. That's a crap ton of songs. It is a crap ton of songs. It is a crap ton of songs. And we mostly can remember all of them. But, you know, we're, we're, starting, we're starting to hit the point where we don't remember every single song we've ever done. But it took a long time for us to get there. There's just too many songs, too many damn songs. You guys have been together since the 90s in the same lineup. What, what, do, you, what is, do you think has helped you maintain that dynamic? it's you know it's ultimately like a family right right it's ultimately like a family it's definitely a brotherhood um we went through a lot of things in the early years that glued us together and uh yeah you know um we have similar temperaments and our our ethics our personal ethics and all that are pretty close to each other so you know, so so we, you know, so our, our, what we think is important, you know, is, is similar. We're, we're, uh, you know, we, we think our little brotherhood is important, and we think being nice to people is important, <laughs> and being nice to each other is important, even though we're not always nice to each other. But you know, but we, but we want to be, you know, and so I mean, we, yeah, we're we're always trying to operate in good faith. You know, and, and I, I don't know who said, but I, but I thought it was is a, a, a neat thing to say about marriage, you know, talking to a couple who made it through years and all kinds of adversary, adversities and uh, said, well, we, we just never were 
out of love at the same time. You know, we were, and I'd say that's true of this band. We, we, we were never out of love with each other and with the band at the same time. There was always kind of a, a leapfrogging going on. There was always something that would sort of keep us, bring us back to being interested in the band. You know, I, I've had periods where I've, I've floated away in interest from the band and came back to it and then floated away again and came back to it. And uh, same with Rhett, same with all of us, you know. So yeah, yeah, we, we, uh, we're long haulers. That's how Ken puts it, we're long haulers, yeah. It's like life goes on and you guys, you know, have your own lives, but then yeah. you have that brotherhood that you, you know, you ultimately yeah. you can always go back to. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's something I admire most about the band. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 probably the thing I'm most proud of. You know, I'm proud of our music. I'm proud of what we've done, what we've accomplished personally. But it's not easy to be a band that's going on 30 years together and still interested in what it can do. And we're still interested in what we can do. And I think that's still true. We are one of our better records came out last summer during COVID, you know, and uh, and that's 12 albums in, not counting our Christmas album. That's kind of a 13th album, all these little odds and ends laying around. But yeah, it, it's a crap, crap ton of records to to still be making good records. And I and I think we still care enough to make good records, you know. So we we are lucky that we've got a serious long hauler in Rhett. We've got me, I'm definitely a long hauler, but you know, not with the kind of output that Rhett has or the, or the prolificness that he has, that kind of thing. Um, Rhett is, brings this giant meatball of, <laughs> of creativity and songs and all that and the rest of us variously just kind of pile on that, and we, and we, uh, you know, we we sort out how to make something good every time we every time we have to do an album. So we're lucky. We we have so much that we that is just sheer good fortune, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about the um, the twelfth album for a sec that you guys yeah. put out in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah. So um, you guys, you had finished recording that by the time the world like crashed down, right? It was it was a yeah it, you know just when we thought all the stories had already happened for us, you know, there here comes twelve. So we played in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, a week before. We were scheduled to go to Nashville, so we were. Well, I think we, I think we were playing at Billy Bob's in Fort Worth on like February 24th or something like that, or very close to that date, if not. Um, but our recording started March 1st, and uh, in Nashville, so we get there March 1st, and immediately the the really bad tornado hits Nashville, go goes through downtown. A lot of destruction, death. Philip, our drummer, and I were on. So we were we were staying in this kind of. Uh, it, it was kind of about four stories off the ground. Had this big kind of outdoor deck, and we were watching 
the storm that was producing this tornado. We didn't know there was a tornado. We uh, all of a sudden there was just this giant dark gray sheet of rain, and Philip started seeing uh, uh, transformers explode in, in the distance. And then almost immediately that was covered up by rain. But then we found out later that night that it was uh, a, a tornado, and a pretty significant one had had hit. So, so the recording started with that. And then uh, we wrapped up on the 13th of March. And, and by then, the first uh, COVID case had been reported at, in Nashville. And it was someone who tested positive who was actually at a benefit for the victims of the Nashville tornado. And uh, so the guys flew home. I flew to Georgia for a few days to work on solo stuff with my, my little solo trio, uh, which is my partner Annie and our drummer Richard, they flew out to Valdosta, Georgia, and uh, we worked for a few days, and the time that we were there, I, we decided we, we got to get home. We're, we're, we're about to shut down. We got to get home. So we did, and within 48 hours of us getting home, the, the lockdowns happened in Los Angeles, where I live. And, uh, and that was it. And that was the next year and a few months before we would even uh, perform again as a band. The record comes out. It gets mixed out in Nashville. It comes out. We don't get to play it. You know, we didn't get to promote it really. We got to be on CBS Saturday mornings where we did like a Zoom kind of thing. But that was it. The, the next time we played those songs, it was in June of this year in uh, Dallas, Texas. And uh, in a moment that was completely cathartic, not only were we be able to play our music, but we're able to see, you know, fan friends of ours that, and they were able to see each other. And we're all in person and it, it felt like things were going to be okay, you know. And then came Delta. Boom! <laughs> but you yeah. guys, you've been playing some shows uh, here and there lately, right? Yeah, it, it's it's cranking up again. You know, even with Delta numbers going down in the places that we've been playing, uh, you know, we, we, we asked for all the protocols. We, we asked for, uh, you know, a, a masked audience, uh, vaccinations, um, that sort of thing. So yeah, the the dates are starting to to kind of stack up. We after our June shows of this year, we we played uh, something in September, I think, and then we did it again in October and November. Now just got back from Chicago. Um, we're going to play again in January, and then there's more in February. I think there's something in March or something in April, May now. Um, yeah, and it's starting to, the calendar's starting to fill out nicely, you know. So aside from these uh, scattered gigs here and there, um, what have you got coming up that you've been working on, either with the band, with yourself? Well, okay, so I, I have a little studio, uh, like a project studio at my house. Uh, I have been slamming into solo stuff. Um, I, I kid you not, I'm actually working on three records at the same time. And it's a lot. There's 38 songs, and it is a lot. I'm, I'm, and I, and I'm actually kind of at the tail end of it. You know, um, they're working really hard on it. That that was one of the nice things that came out of COVID. It just just uh, 
piecing together the studio, um, really doing the work on it. Uh, it's it sounds really cool. There's a lot of uh, 1970s kind of stuff on it, but there's there's a lot of stuff that really kind of veers off more, off more into kind of stuff like I put out a solo record years ago. Uh, there's stuff that's that's not unlike that at all. Very very much writing from that kind of well, like you say, that sort of spaghetti western Ennio Morricone thing and Rootsy and all that. But there's a lot of stuff that's like uh, Sid Barrett, Nick Drake, you know, it's maybe like a country Robin Hitchcock kind of thing. Beautiful stuff and sad stuff, you know. It's it's it, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of in and up, you know, and um, some real fun stuff. Got a song called Moth Parade. It's a song that I wrote in order to calm my little boy's fear of moths, and uh, it's a ridiculous song. It sounds like Sid Barrett could have written it for the first Pink Floyd record, but I'm really proud of it. You know, yeah, I'm just I'm just really following inspiration right now for that. So, and in the '97 world, it's time to write for a new record. So, uh, Red's coming out in January. We're gonna take a few days and just write together, just write, 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 and, uh, and, and not, not do like we've done in the past, not, not have so much, uh, you know, just kind of mostly finished ideas or half-finished ideas that we try to finish, but really kind of like, you know, try different, different ways of writing. So, uh, yeah, so it's time to write, and we're, we're about to get on it, and uh, I, I would say the first half of 2022 is going to be a good bit of writing as well as performing but a good bit of writing and uh and so Rhett and I are shooting for late 2022 to go somewhere and really start a record I can't wait to hear what official number 13 unofficial number 14 yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I've already got a few songs for it. I've already got a few finished songs for it that I think those will be great. Those will work, work fantastic. It'll be very much what you've heard from me before, but they're good. They're clever and funny and well done. I'm proud of them. So, so it's just going to keep adding to that pile. And, and yeah, and Rhett and I are just going to see. We, we, want, we want it to be a very, very good record. And so we're going to try to top the last two, and I think we can do it. I don't know. All right, one last question for you. Um, sure. Um, if you could give any piece of advice to young musicians or bands or aspiring songwriters or instrumentalists, what would you tell them? Well, I would say two or three things. Uh, the very practical thing I would say is... Uh, don't worry if your, your music isn't supporting you or, you know, or, or don't, don't quit everything to be a musician. Just, just do the, the bare minimum to live in order to support your music. Like always make that music number one. Uh, but don't, don't ruin yourself trying to make the music do, do more than it's supposed to do right now. You're, you're supposed to have time to create, you know, it, uh, you shouldn't have to worry about groceries and buying a new amplifier if your amplifier breaks. Get a part-time job. Don't get a full-time job. And don't make music full-time. Full just, just take the heat off of everything, right? That's the practical thing. Creatively, I would say just follow inspiration even if it doesn't seem to be 
part of the project that you're imagining that you're working on right now. If you're if you're trying to do a certain kind of band, but things are coming out of you that doesn't really fit there, write them anyway and stay in that world. Stay. You cannot lose by following your nose into to what happens to be inspiring you at the moment, and, uh, and that can be very unexpected. And and I. I have probably learned more about that in the last three or four or five years than I ever have my entire life, but I believe it firmly. And uh, and I would also say absolutely ignore trends wherever they rear their wicked, devilish, ugly heads. You know, ignore the industry, ignore trends. Just go find like-minded musicians and, and, and learn from each other. There's nothing like the social connection of all of it, you know. But yeah, yeah. Don't don't ever do anything for money. Yeah, don't don't ever do anything for anything other than than that art of yours. Yeah. And goodness, if it's not fun, there's something something going wrong. Go find it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, this is, has been Murray from the old ninety sevens, and you have been listening to an episode of Skylines. So. Thank you, Sky, for having me on, and uh, and uh, I'll be uh, I'll be watching and listening. I'll be. Uh... You just heard from Murray Hammond, bassist of the Old 97s. I'm Sky Hume, your host, and thank you so much for tuning into Skylines.